were on that video. We showed it last week. And so those of you who are here with us understand the, the series messages that we're preaching uh, during the next few weeks. Be encouraged, God is for you. And the question that many of us have in the Christian life is what we find in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 7, where the Israelites ask, is the Lord among us or not? Is God with us or not? When you go through the times where your prayers are not answered, when you go through times of trial in your life, you wonder what in the world God's doing in your life, you know, what's happening in your life, why you're going through this and maybe not somebody else, because usually that's when we ask the question. It's not when someone's going through the trial in Texas, Louisiana, or Mississippi. It's when the trial is affecting us. And sometimes we wonder, God, why is it that I struggle with you? In fact, I believe that the greatest struggles we, we face in life are the struggles we have with God. Let me explain that. You know, I don't know about you, but I feel like I understand the fact that the devil um, is my enemy, and I expect him to be against me. I expect him to tempt me. I expect him to, to put an atmosphere around me that's not real good. And I expect the world maybe to tempt us as well. So we expect those. The Bible says those are our enemies. But what about God? God's supposed to be our friend. He's supposed to be the one who is my heavenly father who goes to bat for me, who has my back. And so why is it that when I go through trials, I feel like sometimes he's not there? In fact, we sort of feel like maybe God, it, his performance is not up to snuff. You say, well, that's kind of blasphemous, Pastor. I mean, to call it a performance. But that's really how we look at it. And so I'm just being honest here. Let's just be honest with ourselves. We look at God and say, look, God, this is what I'm, I've been going through in the past. And I don't feel like you've really delivered there. And so, therefore, I can't trust you really in the future. But we understand that God has worked in our life in the past. Now, last week we said that God was for you. And so this morning we're going to be looking at the fact that God has been for you in the past. He's worked in your past in order to bring you to the present place you are in your relationship with God and your journey with, with Christ. Next week we're going to be looking at the fact that God is with us now. The next week God is with us in the future. He's gone before us in the future. And finally how God rewards. And so we look at a passage this morning in Exodus chapter 17, knowing that God is working our life. And so in this seven chapter, in these seven verses, brief verses that talk about a little bit, an interlude almost, you would say, in the life of Moses, a very significant thing that we don't hear much about. And so in these seven verses in Exodus chapter 17, we can understand how God is working in our life. Now, this series is based upon Hebrews 11:6, where it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So let me bring you up to speed on what's happening in the book of Exodus. If you read the Bible at all, you'll, you'll remember a story in the book of Genesis where Joseph became like the second man in charge in all the land of Egypt. Very, very powerful man. He was a Jewish man. And the Bible says that he died. And then there rose up a pharaoh or a king in Egypt that did not know Joseph. And he looked at the Israelites, the, the Jewish people there in um, his land, and became very afraid of them because they began to multiply. And he thought to himself, wow, they're going to get so many people that we're not going to be able to handle them. So he made them slaves. And that was his workforce. And the pharaohs following that workforce for 400 years. 
400 years. And then finally, God told a man by the name of Moses to go back to his homeland and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And we're going to escape from this place. Now, you understand, you're the king of, of uh, Egypt. You're the most powerful man. You think you're a god. And you expect me to let, or, or you, to let your entire workforce go out into the wilderness and go to another land. It's just not going to happen. But God showed Pharaoh through ten plagues. One right after the other. And finally, after the tenth plague, we read in the Bible that Pharaoh is saying, just go. Just, just leave. In fact, I'm going to pay you to leave. So they go out into the wilderness. They're making their way down south, kind of going this way through the wilderness of sin. Uh, not symbolic there, just, it's just the wilderness of sin, okay? And so down there near Mount Sinai and the Red Sea, they backed up to the Red Sea, and the Bible says that Pharaoh thought better of what he did and went after the Israelites and backed him up to the Red Sea. No place to go. God parted the Red Sea, and all the Israelites, Bible says, passed on dry land. Then the Egyptian army followed them. God caused the waters to tumble in on them and kill the entire Egyptian army. Then they got into the wilderness, and the Bible says that he had uh, water coming to them in a supernatural way, a pillar of fire, the Bible says, by night to guide them. And finally, in Exodus chapter 16, we can read that they were hungry, and they were complaining to Moses about their hunger. God had manna, bread, falling from heaven every night, to feed them for 40 years. Another miracle. Now, you just sort of get where we're coming from here. The Israelites had seen 10 plagues, parting of the Red Sea, bread falling from heaven, all these miracles, and they're still complaining. Let's read. Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by the stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So understand that God, the Bible says, journey by stages according to the command of the Lord. God told Moses, go into a land where there is no water. God brought them into the trial. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? I want you to understand three things from this passage. Number one is that the world is a wilderness. The world is a place of need. The place is a barren. The world is kind of a barren place for us oftentimes emotionally. So let me share this with you. Trials in life are inevitable. In fact, if you go to sleep at this point or get on your, the Internet on your phone uh, after this, just know the message that I'm coming across with this morning, okay? And that is God reveals himself through the troubles of life. Say that with me. God reveals himself through the troubles in life. Say that with me again. God reveals himself through the troubles in life. And so we ask ourselves the question, why am I going through this trial? Trials are inevitable. They're, they're just going to happen in life. This is not heaven. In fact, James 1-2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. They're going to be buried. You're not going to know where they're coming from, but you will encounter them. It's when, not if. In fact, let me just say that anything that can happen to anybody else in the world can happen to the Christian. Look at the nation of Israel. They were in slavery for 400 years. Look at the nation of Israel. They were backed up to the Red Sea with no place to go. Have you ever felt boxed in? Over and over again, they were hungry. They had need. They, had, they were thirsty. We have different needs in our life. Trials are inevitable, but then trials are also 
part of our life story. For example, a few weeks ago, we ordained some deacons here in our church, some new deacons, and they had, uh, we had a video of their testimony, and you've got sort of a glimpse of what we had the privilege of hearing during the time of ordination. And during that time, some of them really opened up and really shared what God did in their past to lead them to the Lord, and what God did in their past, even when they walked away from the Lord for a while, to bring them back and bring them where they are today serving here as deacons. See, God always places trials in our past. They're always there, and he's always using those trials in our life. Now, the West, Western civilization, or the United States in America, of America in particular, we are one of the first societies in a long, long time to really get preoccupied with suffering. Generations before us understood, and other countries understand this, trials come in life. Suffering is just a part of life. Remember back in the Western days, they had those, those farms they were on. They were tilling the soil. They were praying for rain. Sometimes the rains didn't come. They had to go down to the river and wash their clothes. They, did, they didn't have the conveniences of life. They didn't have a washing machine. I know that's hard to believe. They didn't have, they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have iPhones. They, they didn't have computers. They didn't have any other conveniences. Indoor plumbing, nothing. They suffered through it. It just took them a lot of time just to live. But we in the 20th, 21st century in America and probably in all of Western civilization look at suffering as something that surprises us. We're, we're taken back by it. Why is that? because we live in a secular society. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. The word secular means now. It's the now. In a secular society, we have the idea that everything's supposed to, we, we are supposed to get everything that we're ever going to get right now. I'm going to get, if I'm going to get money, I've got to get it in this lifetime. If I'm going to get fame, got to get it in this lifetime. If I'm going to get a reward, it's got to be right now. And so I'm, I'm geared for success. I want to be successful you know, successful, influencing the right people, going the right direction, getting the right education. And if I fall at any, any point in life, I just lose it all. It's just gone. And so the secular society says, I have to have things right now. So what does that do to us? It says to us, God, this is the way I think life ought to go. And I've, I feel the same way. I, I'm surprised by suffering sometimes. I'm surprised by trial. I think to myself, God, if things go the way I would want them to go, I could influence a lot more people for Christ. I feel like I could lead a lot more people to Christ. I could help a lot more people grow in the Lord. If things just went my way, you know, and you feel the same way. And you think, oh, things just didn't go my way. Why? I want everything right now. And so when things don't go our way, we think, God, you just did not perform the way I wanted you to perform. However, the biblical world, worldview is not the now. It's real life. We live in a world of real life. But we are also living, prepare ourselves for a greater life here and a greater life also and more reward in heaven. Romans 8.18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. And so what is God trying to do in our life? What is he trying to do? Well, let's look secondly, not only is the world a wilderness, but secondly, God works in the wilderness. We read here in verse 3. But the people, verse 2, in fact, therefore the people quarreled with Moses. But the people thirsted there for water, in verse 3, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us from the land of Egypt to kill us and our children, our livestock, with thirst? 
Now, just think about the, what they were looking at in the forest. The performance was concerned. God, I know what you've done. I know that you brought me, us out of the land of Egypt. I know about the ten plagues. I know about the parting of the Red Sea. But God, you did all that just to set us up. And now you're going to kill us with thirst. Don't we do that to God sometimes? God, here's how you bless me. You died on the cross for me. God, you did this for me. You did this for me. You provided a family for me. You did this. You provided a job. But God, now you just set me up for failure. Well, we look at this passage and we understand that God was teaching Israel about something that was very important. And that was about himself. The bread falling from heaven. We understand that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus was the water from the rock. He told the woman at the well in John chapter 4 in the New Testament. He said, he said to her, I will give you living water and you'll never thirst again. The Bible calls Jesus the rock. Everywhere they went and every trial that occurred, God was revealing part of himself to the nation of Israel as he does us as well. He was preparing them for something. Now, with all this, they quarreled. Now, this is a very important word. It's different from the word grumbling down in verse 3. Grumbling is really complaining. They've done that a lot. The word quarrel is a legal term. And they were saying to Moses, you have committed a serious crime. In fact, down in verse 4 it says, So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall we do to this people? I, a little more and they will stone me. Now stoning to death, that meant that was a serious offense. So what they, what they were accusing Moses of and God was, was treason. And they were really accusing God. He says, why do, you, why do you complain against me? Why do you charge me? Why do you charge the Lord? You, they were charging God with treason. That is, bring them out into a land just to let them down, just to kill them. And so you and I face trials for a reason. Why do we face them? Well, let's look at a couple of verses in the New Testament. Romans 8 says, For we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God wants all these things, he designs all the things in your life, please keep that in mind, all the things in your life for your good, that together, not individually, but together they would work for the good. Why? What was the purpose? He says, he, for those whom he did foreknow, that is, his foreknowledge, he would know it in the future, he also predestined, which simply means to pre-plan something. And he's talking here about you and I, those who are already believers. This is his, his goal for us, that we become conformed to the image of his son. In other words, we become more like Christ. We'd know more about God, and therefore that would change our life, and we would become conformed. Conformed over means to change over, so we'd be constantly going through some changes periodically, all consistently, all throughout our life in order to bring us to the place where we need to be in the Lord. And so, what is he trying to teach us? Look in Romans chapter 5. And this we know, that we exalt in tribulations, we re rejoice with what's going on in our life. Why? Because tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character. What does that mean? What about proven character? Somebody says, well, look, I think I can become more like Jesus Christ with a proven character by reading the Bible. I could not agree more. God recently showed me something in the Word this past week, changed my perspective on things. 
we can read the Bible and we can change, but there's some things that we can, the only way we can change them and mold them is to go through trials. And the Bible explains this. First of all, Deuteronomy chapter 8, later in this whole thing, they're still in the wilderness of sin, and they're there, and God says this, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. This is at the end of the 40 years. In the beginning, we find Exodus chapter 17, 40 years later, we find in Deuteronomy. And he explains to Moses, why in the world do we do this? Well, that, you're, that he led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what's in your heart, whether you should keep, would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone. But, er, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. God says, I'm, I've done this to humble you. One of the things that we just cannot do on our own is just be humble. And one of the reasons why it was so vital that they be humble is the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, he says, lest you go into the promised land, get blessed with a land flowing with milk and honey and forget the Lord. Hey, we did this. Hey, we did this. Look what we've done. Look what we have. Look, look what I have. God says, I brought you to a place. We can see this humility in the life of Moses. Remember when in, in the book of Exodus, the very beginning of it, he went, uh, the Bible says he was raised up in Pharaoh's house because of, uh, you know, Pharaoh's daughters seeing him on the Nile and bringing him in. And, you know, you have to read that story in Exodus 1 and 2. Uh, we can see Moses being raised up, and he kills an Egyptian. He says, I'm going I'm to be the savior of my people. He kills the Egyptian, finds out he's in trouble and runs for his life. Forty years later, he's standing before a burning bush that will not be consumed. He knows it's God. He says, what's your name? He says, I am. I am that I am. He says, Moses, I want you to go in and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he says, God, I am not your guy. What a humility change in his life. And you and I come to know Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. How? By humbling ourselves, <clears throat> excuse me, at the foot of the cross, saying, God, I can't do anything to save myself. I'm out of the saving business. No ritual I can do, no work I can do, nothing. I just simply come with nothing and give my heart to you. And the rest of our lives, God puts trials in our life to humble us. But then in this passage of Deuteronomy, it also explains to us, he says, I'm going to teach you that I am your only provision. You've got to depend on me. That's the second thing. We just, we just can't learn without trial, going through trials. We see it in Job. We see it in Joseph. We see it in all the other Old Testament characters. We see it in the life of Peter. We go through trials in life to depend on him. The Bible says, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why would you consider it joy? Because you're learning about him, because you're learning to depend on him. The Bible says again, he says, you're going to go into the promised land if you're not careful and forget God. You know what they did? The second generation forgot God. They just forgot him. Why did they forget him? Because the parents did not pass that word on to their, their young people successfully enough. And they became not to depend on God, but to depend on themselves because they were, there was a land flowing with milk and honey and they were getting blessed. We depend on God. Second, thirdly, compassion. How can we learn compassion? 
without going through trials ourselves. We, we have a, um, a ministry here in our church called Grief Share. Who's involved in that? Well, probably the people that went through grief. What about divorce recovery? Well, people probably that are involved that have been through some sort of uh, suffering through divorce in some way. And then we have addictions with, with uh, Celebrate Recovery. Probably those who are involved in that ministry have been involved with addictions. You see, we go through things and we have compassion then on others. In Moses' early life, we don't see that compassion. But then in Numbers chapter 14, when they're about to go into the promised land and, and spies brought back a bad report and people cried out, murmured against God all over again. God's brought us out here into the wilderness to die. God had had it up to here with the nation of Israel and said, forget it. And God went to them with compassion. Or rather, Moses went to them with so much compassion. And he says, God, you know, you can almost feel it in his voice. God, I know what it's like to feel abandoned. I know what it's like for life not to go the way you think it should go. And these people have said, please don't, please don't destroy them. But compassion on his own heart. We don't learn that unless we go through trials. Pruning is a fourth thing. We can talk about the Bible pruning us, but nothing prunes us like a gardener coming in and slashing off the dead stuff. And when he slashes off the dead branches and the dead leaves, then the new growth can take place. That happens when we go through trials in life. And finally, endurance. The Bible teaches us in James 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, this is a very um, interesting word here. The word endurance comes from two Greek words meaning to hyper and to stand, to hyperstand. <clears throat> in other words, a super stand. That you're standing strong in the midst of all the trials in life, standing strong, standing enduring, in spite of the fact emotionally you don't feel all tied in. Endurance. Endurance. There's something about someone standing strong in the Lord. How do you do that? How do you, do you go through these trials successfully? God tells us all the way through the book of Exodus, Deuteronomy. He tells us, remember. You see, faith is in between the no longer and the not yet. You study the prayers of the Old Testament saints and you'll find them talking about God, praising God, praising God, praising God, thanking God for this, thanking God for that, and then finally making their request. They're not buttering up God. They're increasing their faith. God, remember. Remember how you brought us through the, through the wilderness. God, remember the plagues. Rem I remember the Red Sea. I remember all these manna falling from heaven. I remember all that. The problem to the Israelites is like our problem. We said, okay, God, mm, I do remember that. But God, I sort of left that. I didn't park on that. And I went ahead and started thinking about the next problem that I faced. Don't you do that? I do that. Oh, God, praise God for this. But, oh, there, I got something else over here. The person that endures and the person that is pruned and the person that has grows in compassion instead of bitterness in their heart parks on what God has done in their life and brushes through the things that they don't feel like are going right. Understanding they're not God. I'm not God. And so I cannot picture and plan my own future. Not completely. God has to have his hand in it. So what does God do? How does he provide? 
The Bible tell, tells us in, um, let's look back down here in verse 4 and what happens here. So Moses cried out, <clears throat> and then in verse 5, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff that stood for the power of God, with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Hor. Man, this, this is great stuff right here. Only time in the Bible I find this that I know about, Horeb, by the way, was Sinai, another name for Sinai. He says, go to the rock, and the glory of God was at the rock. And he says, I will be there with you and stand with you. And this word, stand with you, comes from uh, the, the, the feeling and, and the literature behind it is that the soldier would stand there for the king. And so the picture is, is God standing there waiting orders from Moses. Now, he was, Moses wasn't going to give him any orders, but the idea was that God was there to serve Moses and the people of Israel. He says, you go there, and I'm going to stand. I'm going to hyper-stand with you. And you shall strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. He struck the rock. Horeb stood for the presence of God, Mount Sinai. The rock was a picture of Christ. The bread was a picture of Christ. The water coming from the rock was a picture of the Lord. I was uh, <clears throat> riding back to work uh, to the office this week, and God really moved in my heart in a very special way, and I was just praying about some stuff. And I just sort of laughed at myself because of what I've been preaching here in the last year or so. And I said, God, come on, I'm sorry. It's not all about me. It's not all about me. All these other people going through problems in their life, they're affecting me, but it's just not all about me. And then within two seconds, it seemed like, God revealed a whole bunch of stuff to me. And the stuff was simply this. It is about you. And I understood what he meant by that. In other words, yes, it's not about you. My world does not revolve around you. However, saying that, all these things in life that are affecting you, I'm using in your life to make you more like Christ. Yes, okay, here in your life, you've got a problem at your job, you have a problem with your finances, you have, say, your son or your daughter's having a problem. It's their problem, there's no question. It may be their problem, but it's affecting you. And I thought to myself, God, seven billion people in the world, and even only if a billion of those are Christians, a billion people in the world, and you know every single thing that's going on in their life. God, you know every single thing, not only that is happening in their life, but you're using that in everybody's life, some of the same things in a multitude of people's lives to bring about Jesus Christ in your life and in my life to make us more like Jesus. Man, I was amazed at that. I, I'm not, I can't get my arms around that even now. I just can't, I can't fathom somebody with that much knowledge. I can't ma imagine to myself that, that much going on in somebody, all these other people's lives that would affect mine. <clears throat> and I got to thinking about, um, you know, animals. Animals are kind of like us, not like us. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a pet. And she's a little dog, and um, <clears throat> brilliant dog, sleeps 23 hours a day. 
Can't get any smarter than that, I guess. And you may say, hey, look, don't, don't throw off on cats and dogs. Don't throw off on my dog. My dog's smart. Oh, yeah? Your dog's smart. Yeah, my dog's smart. What does he do? He fetches. Yeah, you throw a stick out there and he fetches and brings it back. Well, you wouldn't say that about your son. My son's smart. Oh, yeah? What does your son do? He fetches. Oh, not sticks and stones, but he fetches remotes and Diet Cokes. And you wouldn't say, you know, because that's a different measurement altogether. Your son being smart versus your dog being smart. But I wonder, you know, if we could take our pets and communicate with them just for a moment. Now, let me just say this. If you start talking to dogs, you know, and they start talking back, that's another story altogether. That's, <clears throat> you don't need a sermon. You need something else. But this is just an illustration. You understand? And so you're communicating with your pet, and he says, hey, what do you do all day? I mean, you're gone all day. What do you do? And he said, well, let's see, I, I, have a, I go to work, I have a meeting in the morning, and then, uh, let's see, and then right after the meeting, I had another meeting, I had to plan for another meeting, I had a lunch meeting, and then I had this project to work on all afternoon, I had to get on my computer. What's a computer? What's a computer? Well, it's this machine that you can communicate with people all over the world. Oh, you're kidding. I said, no, it's got this internet. Man, you can find out anything you want to know on the Internet, and sometimes it's right. And so you're, you're pecking around on that thing, and he just, can't, he just can't get his arms around that. What do you mean? I just don't understand it. I don't get it. And maybe he would never get it. Never. Because he's a dog. But let me say this. Intellectually and in capacity and ability, we're more like the dog than we are God. And so when I got back to the office, and I know in the interest of time, I know that um, hour's late. But I think it's so important that I read this passage to you. As soon as I got back to the office, God just laid Psalm 139 on my heart and said, read it. Here it is. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. He, he's saying, look, I've gone before you. I've got you back. You have enclosed me. And then in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. You're everywhere. If I take the wings of dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me. You ever felt that way? That the darkness, the unknowns, the atmosphere of defeat is just surrounding you. He says, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike for you. For you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will, make, I will give thanks for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Verse 15 talks about skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. God knew you before you were even born. Then in verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. 
How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. There's no place you can go where God's not there. There's no darkness too dark that he cannot see. There's no knowledge before, during, after that he does not know. Even before you speak, he knows the words that are coming out of your mouth. Every detail of your life and mine, God using to conform us to the image of his son and to show us himself. Even in the midst of the trials, God reveals himself to us. He's revealing himself. He's revealing himself. Why? How could he do this? He can communicate with us in that way because Jesus Christ came and became part and infiltrated our wilderness. That's right. Jesus came into the wilderness with us. We can see that in the manna. We can see that in the water from the rock. We see that in the rock. But as Jesus came, we can see it more on the cross. There's a story one uh, pastor tells, and um, Dorothy Sayers, an author, and reads her, he reads her a lot. And Dorothy Sayers was the first female uh, graduate of Oxford University in England. And she's also a mystery writer, novelist. And she had this mystery character called Lord Peter Whimsey. And he solved mysteries. And so um, as she was writing these novels, she noticed something missing from Peter Whimsey's life. And so she wrote a woman character into the story named Harriet. Harriet was the first graduate first female graduate of Oxford University, and she was a mystery writer. What did she do? She saw this fictitious character, Lord Peter Wimsey, saw his need, and she wrote herself into his story. That's what Christ has done for you. That's what Christ has done for us. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you can think, oh, this happened to me, and this happened to me, and I lost this, and I lost that, and boy, this trial... All to bring me here to Cross Life Church on this Sunday, August 21st. Hey, maybe a friend invited you. Maybe you got a card in the mail. Maybe you got a, a little welcome. You saw a yard sign, something. And all to bring you here. Why? Because God has been calling you to himself. He's entered your wilderness on the cross, and he's calling you to that cross for you to be saved and become a believer in him, a worshiper of him. Would you be willing to say, hey, you know, Lord, this is it. Wow, I see it. And I want to know Christ as my Savior and Lord, the way you have brought me to this place to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that is the prayer of your heart, if you can see that in your own life, I want to invite you to pray <clears throat> with me a simple prayer I prayed many years ago. I, I invited Christ into my heart. 
And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if that's the prayer of your heart, pray with me now. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of everything that I've done. Make me the person that you want me to be. In Jesus' name, I pray it. Amen. Now, would you look this way? Guys, if one of y'all can hand me a, a card, a welcome card, I'd appreciate it. Uh, many of you <clears throat> received, uh, or should have received a welcome card as you entered the door this morning. And on this welcome card, we've asked for your, uh, your permission to just to have your information. We're not going to share it with anybody, just for our records, your information on the front of the card, as much as you feel comfortable sharing with us. But on the back of the card, and the reason why we, one of the reasons why we want to share this with you is an opportunity to participate on the back. You notice it says my decision today on the back of the card, I've decided to surrender my life to Christ and begin a personal relationship with him. There's other places there you can make a decision or you can write it out, a prayer request, a response to God's word. But if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ into your heart, I want you to put a little check in that box. Make sure we get the information on the front because we have some literature we want to share with you that's very important for you to take the next steps and to know what to do with this brand new Christian life. So I ask you to do that. Others, uh, make a decision as, as well on the card. It's right there on the back, and uh, we invite you to do that. Now, with that saying, being, being said, let's bow for prayer right now. <clears throat> I want to pray for the offering as well as for you. Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God, how it speaks to our heart. And God, I pray that right now you would just help us, Lord, help us to grasp the word we can't grasp you completely that's for sure we, the, the wonder to it all is just amazing but God I pray that you would at least help us to apply the wonder the awesomeness of you working in our life and then God I pray for those that receive Christ that they would just let us know Lord, we just want to help them any way we can and then Lord I pray for the offering today God thank you so much that you blessed us thank you Lord for how you blessed so many people. God, I pray that you would make us generous. As a Christian believer, I, I need to be generous. That's just the Christian life. And so I pray, God, that you, that would be reflected not only in our serving, but in our giving as well. And so, God, I pray that you bless the offering and bless those who give right now. In Jesus' name, we pray it. Amen. Amen. Well, as the ushers come forward, uh, let me just share with you a couple of things. Yeah, we're, we're not going to do a... Okay, great, great. We always do an invitation, so they're just going right into it. You know, they're just doing what they're, what they're supposed to do. But uh, I know the hour is late. <clears throat> we had a little bit of a, a delay in the traffic. The problem is this. The problem is this. It's being more difficult to get back and forth. And I know I'm sort of, you feel like I'm blowing in and blowing out, all that kind of stuff on the service. But I do another service over on the east side uh, of Orlando. And it takes about 17, 18 minutes to get over there normally. Now it's taking about 20 because there's so much traffic. And the problem is this. The problem is there's not enough people coming to church. They're on the road. They're driving. Now our goal is to get them off the streets and into the church. Do I have an amen? That's it. So invite somebody to come. Also, we, we're going to have a little change out there, the East, East Campus, and so I'm going to be here uh, more often, uh, a lot more often, 
uh, during both of these services without traveling, and because there's going to be some, uh, we're going to have someone uh, going out there and preaching every Sunday, and so we still haven't found a, a campus pastor, but uh, nevertheless, we're right on the, the heels of it, I think, and then also on the heels of finding someone to, to lead our, both worship services as well, but I tell you, it's great not have to be in a hurry, because we got two great guys doing it here uh, during an interim basis here, do we not? Amen? And they're doing such a great job. And so, all that being said, uh, right after the service, I'm going to be over here in the hospitality center. I'd love the opportunity to meet you as our guests, so please come over there and say hello. And uh, with that, we have, I think, a couple of announcements here on 